Rachel, do you remember the first song you ever heard? First song? Nope. You don't remember? Okay. How was uh, music introduced to your life? Um, when I was... I don't really remember, but from what I was hearing, when I was... when I had retinopathy of prematurity, becoming blind, and music was like the the thing that my parents played. That was the first language that was easy for me, yes. Do you remember one of the first songs that you heard where you just kind of just felt it was speaking to you? You just really felt alive? Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. Okay. Fair Elise was another one. Do you remember how old you were? Nope. Okay. Probably like two. Oh, wow. Three, four, somewhere there. <laughs> wow, okay. And then my mom and dad's own compositions. Right. Yeah. Your mom, Jennifer, has an absolutely beautiful voice as well. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. in the film. Um, so, Lorenzo, I understand that you met um, Rachel at a local jazz club, which is Squash Grapes. I love mm -hmm. the name, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it's in uh, Ventura. It is. Do you want to talk about that night? Because I think you went in not intending to do a film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Hans Otzen, a guitarist in Ventura, uh, Rachel was in his group at the time. And he's a friend, and he said she'd come down and check out this group, including this young woman. Who's, she was 20 at the time. And uh, so I went down with a friend of mine, and... and uh, Wow, you know, it was, it was a, kind of a revelation. The group was tight, and, and Rachel was just astonishing. And mm -hmm. met Jeannie. Um, found out later, well, you know, I had made a couple of music films and, and uh, lost sufficient money on those. So I wasn't looking to do another, you know. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, something clicked, you know, because uh, they were right there locally. It was close by. So they checked me out, and I checked them out, and, and uh, a couple of months later we were filming, and then we filmed for 53 days over almost a two-year period. So we ended up growing, it grew, you know, from a small thing into uh, sort of a big story, even though it's modest and family and, and all, it took on a dimension that we didn't really know was going to go that <laughs> way. You know? What was that conversation like? Who, who approached whom to say, uh, I'd like to make this documentary, and how do you feel about me being a part of your life, basically, mm -hmm. almost forever, because the film lives on, and even if the two of you never see each other again, you still are around, in yeah. a sense, in your mind. I'm sure they felt it was forever, you know. So. <laughs> well, I think, <clears throat> you know, they looked at some, I gave them a couple of films of mine, musical-related, yeah, yeah Cuban music film, and a film Tal about Tal Tal guitar Farlo. player. Yeah, a jazz guitar player. You'd heard of him before? Or that was the first time you heard of him? First time I've heard of him. Yeah, film, one of my first, first films. And, uh, Pretty cool. Yeah, so they, I think there was an element of trust, like this guy kind of knows what he's doing, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and there, in terms of my, uh, you know, I went to the house for the first time, and Gene said, him. let me clean up first. Showed him, showed him some recent compositions I've been writing on my computer keyboard at the time. And yeah, it was the beginning of what's been just, I can't even count how many times we've hung out there and, you know, came Still close. It's, it's, documentaries can be that way. Usually a feature film, people don't speak to each other after the thing is over. <laughs> you know, this is these tensions. <laughs> but I've been lucky that way. All the films I've done, it, it's become long-term yeah. relationships and I see no reason well, this won't be the same, if not even longer, you know. Um, but it, that was the beginning. Some filmmakers had approached you, right? Uh, yeah, it was a while um, ago. And they didn't follow up, and I think, understandably. I was, I was busy with high school and a lot of other things, and I hadn't really explored things yet. Yeah, it's kind of a natural, you know, story. It didn't take a whole lot of brain power to see there was a, a story here. I think probably one of the best decisions I made was just, let's do this, you know. And I contacted some crew, camera people that I know, and, and mm -hmm. th it wasn't a hard sell. It's been easy all along the way in terms of once they check out some of Rachel's work and they're in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's the 
you know, the, the main uh, reason people got on board this in terms of funding and all the other things. And uh, unlike any other experience I've had, you know, the kind of support. Maybe that's why it, it just felt right. It just was easy. You know how when things seem difficult, it's almost like mm, maybe that's a sign to not mm -hmm. do them. So it sounds like yeah. that was a sign if, if other filmmakers had approached and it kind of fell off. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, but where were you in your life at the time, Lorenzo? Weren't you working and you had to maybe scale back some of your work because, you know, this is a huge commitment? Yeah, it didn't feel like it was going to be, but, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I was, you know, writer-director, de developing material and playwright and, you know, working in those realms. I was a film editor for many years, so I came out of film editing, and um, which is, was helpful in terms of, has been helpful in terms of writing, in terms of story and economy and approach and things like that. But documentary, you just go out and, and just suck up material, you know, and, and photograph it properly, record the sound right, make your choices, you know. Since I produced and directed it, uh, the producer part was actually more important than the directing, because in a documentary, you're not telling people stuff to do. Maybe say, walk over here. Or something. It was very minimal directing. The producing is choosing what sequences to show, what not to shoot. And the director comes in, and if it's the same person, you just try not to screw it up. You know, you, you shoot it <laughs> properly, record it properly. And being an editor, I, I kind of know what I need, you know, to, to get in order to be able to put it together. But, um, yeah, and it just flowed. You know, 53 days is a long time over that period of time. Um, and we, we staged certain sequences that were maybe wouldn't have happened, you know. And then most of it, though, was just, <laughs> what are you doing today? Can we tag along? So it was kind of a mix of those two techniques, I guess <laughs> you'd call them. Right. And how was it for you to um, hear, uh, Rachel, your brother Vaughn mm -hmm. uh, talk in the, in the film? I mean, he was, um, you know, he had a fun way about him, but he, he just said, you know, he's an artist too. Yeah. And I found that interesting that, that you were willing to have him sort of say that. I'm sure a lot of people feel that in families. And yeah. I just, forgive me if it's too personal, but I was just wondering if, how that was for you Yeah. to hear that. I remember a while ago when I was becoming known playing at a lot of recitals and musical competitions and recitals and mom would always take Vaughn to go to them and Vaughn would, he would always hear me being like the, you know, recognized a lot. And Vaughn was starting to get a little uncomfortable with that. And um, yeah, so I, when he started getting into drawing, I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah I, I felt that too, so. Well, you come from a very creative family, and, and mm -hmm. you can see that in, in many respects, um, yeah. there's always something creative going on. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how you'll feel about now. The film will be out mm -hmm. coming up in just a few weeks, or maybe even less than that. And now mm -hmm. the reach will be even broader. People will know even more about your story, your music, yeah. your family. How does that feel? Is that exciting? Very, Is it a little scary? Pretty exciting. Very, I think it'll be fascinating for a lot of people to sort of see, like, how I got started with playing music and the family side of it is pretty cool that mom and dad were part of it too because they, they helped me a lot when I was very little too, so. Yeah, right. And when Lorenzo played the film for you, mm -hmm. were you involved in, in uh, different, did you know it from the beginning? Were you hearing sort of the playback of some of the scenes or was it fresh? Did you keep it sort of from Rachel until it was ready to be out there in the world? Well, she saw a lot of cuts. A lot and, of and, cuts. Uh, and, yeah. She goes to all the screenings. I don't think she's gotten bored with it yet. No. Nope. Oh. <laughs> and how was it to, to hear yourself and your life did it almost feel like it was another person? Or did you kind of say, this is me, I get it? Um, but at the time when I hear myself talk, it's like, yeah, that was me. Sometimes it's funny hearing my own voice when I play it, when it plays back. <laughs> it's, you know, she's so, she's got such an ear, you know, mm -hmm. that 
we had to edit a lot of the songs just for length, you know, and we were sweating <laughs> bullets in there. So she's going to hear every cut, you know. And so when she, so that was pretty good. Then you know you're okay, you know. Uh -huh. But uh, it was, you know, obviously I made the film I wanted to make, and, yeah. and they were so cooperative, you know, all the way down the line. Um, I, I don't know if I'll ever get that kind of, you know, cooperation, because that shows on film that they're willing participants, you know, in the thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a revelation for everybody on the crew, you know, uh, to be, and it's right down the street, you know, if there's a message, quote unquote, <laughs> on the film, it's, it's pay attention to the world around you, because they're fascinating people, including yourself. In other words, people are, you know, sort of pushed into different roles in life, Society. you know. Yeah, like you're this, you're that. Right. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, Rachel's defied all the odds pretty much absolutely and uh music being her vehicle you know mm -hmm. so, yeah we learned a lot from her it's fun still learning yeah yep. and that, i love how you um show the dweezil zappa performance was, in vegas that's awesome that was that's my cool. favorite moment that's really cool first time we played on stage together too so oh wow okay i had these that's dreams deep. before that i i remember this dream that I was playing with Dweezil in his band, and that guitar that I played, something weird happened to the guitar, and then one of one of my friends helped out, fixed the guitar, and got it set back up. And then later on, my something weird happened with my guitar, like in the dream, so then we figured that out. And then playing with Dweezil, we played a different song, but it was... It was pretty cool. <laughs> he'd, he'd heard of her through I did friends, a lot right? Of, yeah, I did a lot of Frank Zappa tunes on SoundCloud. Oh, wow. And um, Dweezil heard them, and he was impressed. And he talked about doing some songs together, and I was like, yeah, that would be cool. So the Vegas thing was pretty exciting. I know you talk about dreams as well in yeah. other parts of the film. It sounds like that's a very um, strong force in your life. Yeah. Dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in dreams I'm always hearing some kind of music or I I remember a lot of like the, like I even remember a whole bunch of dreams when I was very little that I had. Interesting. Yeah. What the, do you, the sounds, the smells. The, the places, the, the people, the environment in them, <laughs> yes. What do the two of you feel about uh, the law of attraction? I'm wondering if that's somehow... Between us? Well, you know, I mean, it was the right time if you say, Rachel, that other filmmakers had approached you and maybe either they didn't follow up or it just wasn't right. And it sounds like this, I don't know, if, if you wanted to look at a higher part of how this film came together, Mm -hmm. Law of attraction. I don't know if either of you have thoughts. Well, it certainly was attractive, you know, in terms of. I think there's a certain cosmic thing going on, you know, in the creative realms that uh, leads you. They're always in the right directions, you know. I've had a few detours, as everyone mm. has, you know, <laughs> pursuing things you think are great, and the, the world is yawning, you know. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but uh, and this is this has been three and a half years, and so I figured it was a four year. Having done these before, I figured it's a four year thing. Four years for full like from conception to full release, and so we're about six months ahead of schedule. Oh, it's been three and a half since uh, January eighteenth, two thousand fourteen, which is the day we met. Where we started. Know. Oh wow, that's interesting. I started filming in April that year. April. So and then just you know kept going. <laughs> I don't know. We, uh, you felt it was okay too. Mm -hmm. Decent guy, you know. <laughs> trust me with your story. Mm -hmm. huh? mm -hmm. She yep. didn't really know at first, you know. But it was a, she was a great trooper, you know. I mean, I know it was exhausting sometimes. Huh? Yeah. And, and oh, it's not always exciting, you know. When I especially when I asked her to play a song forty times, oh yeah, she got mad at me. A couple times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she didn't quite get why I was. I probably yeah. overdid it too a few times. I just like the song. I just play it again. But uh, it was, I think it was. You have to answer for yourself about what the process was like. You want to talk a little bit? About yeah, it was pretty interesting. Like getting all the mics set up and the cameras and filming strange things. 
like going into the pumpkin fields and there's like small thing in this giant I don't know what it is <laughs> well yeah it wasn't just performance in fact I, I you know it I, my other films in this realm have been kind of tagged music films you know I know this was is still going to be called that but I really worked hard to <clears throat> make it more than that you know a family piece you know um, and we wanted to take Rachel into places where blind people don't go like by themselves in the middle of a field of course we took her out there and then sure. we left this in the frame you know? right. <laughs> but I wanted that feeling of uh, independence you know yeah. it's a symbolic image and with the, the drone mm -hmm. cameras pulling back and she's by herself mm -hmm. and, yeah and uh, so it's a little unrealistic in that <laughs> sense but, but it's more uh, wow. uh, a sort of euphemism for for freedom and, and yeah. no boundaries mm -hmm. which is what i get from rachel yeah right but then also to structure i think you had talked about on the indiegogo page um, and I, I have it here, it says, with a documentary, um, there's structure, and you always need to go back to the house, to the family. And I'm yeah. just wondering... That's where it all starts. Okay, yeah. So and that's mm -hmm. also, that's like where, where I'm at after I'm done doing something, I'm always back at the house and going on my keyboards and composing or playing a song or whatever. These increasingly impressive forays into the world, starting in the, the sequence in church where she sings expecting. Many, early many reports and way before loving you. Yeah. That's like the song that everybody knows of hers, but I like going further and p exploring the Lesser other. known things. Yeah. And then we go back to the house. I mean, it's, 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 it's a conscious effort to, sure. it's, hopefully it's subtle on, on film. You know, you, people, the audience, if they're with you, will go with you yeah. wherever you take them. And if it's an off, they know when they, they're not in, you know, and <laughs> it's like, not what? working for them. <laughs> and so you're not making it for them. It's, it's manipulative in that sense, you know, but it's mostly your abilities as an editor or, when you're cutting for a year, you know, it's hard to be objective anymore, you know, um, so you show it to people and so on. But that was a pretty early uh, decision was to come back and forth. And then culminating, the, the Dweezil Zappa stuff was not at the end at one point. Oh, interesting. And uh, some people wiser than I said, <laughs> you should put that at the, at the end. And it was obviously good advice. Yeah. So, that, so you grew with her. Yeah. And, you know, when you film that long, she, her look changes, her hair length, that she becomes... For, starts off as a, a young girl into a young woman, uh, you know, uh, that's the sort of natural trajectory. Try not to get in the way of the material, you know. Yeah. Rachel, what do you want people to take away from the film? Mm. Anything? It's been a while since I last watched it. Um. <laughs> Well, they're gonna. They may have heard of you. Some may not, never have heard of you. If you yeah. It's hard to put yourself in their place, but mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting for them to see yeah. how you're progressing over the years. Yeah, the part about like something about like moving forward. It's always, huh? Mm-hmm. Exploring all kinds of things. Um. I'm. I know what I would like to say, but I can't get the words out correct, yeah, take correctly. Your time. Yeah. Well, she's thinking about it. I'll say that, you know, there's also things like it's a disability film, which it's not, you know. That word is banished, you know, we don't use that yeah. word. Mm -hmm. If anything, she's a hyper-able individual, you know, with a huge, <laughs> huge talents, you know. Absolutely. But people will get what they want out of it, and some people yeah. might, that might be very productive, you know. We had the film that's been audio described for the blind and vision impaired. It's a narration yeah. track that oh, wow. in certain theaters, and in fact, the New York theater has that capacity, uh, Cinema Pretty Village, cool. and iTunes and, and Netflix, whoever Netflix. ends up buying the film will have some, some of those platforms have that. So it opens it up for people like Rachel who need that. Because uh, you watch a lot of movies, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a black sky, a sliver <laughs> of sunlight crusts the earth. Rays of light shoot up, and the words, Universal appears. <laughs> That's great. 
Now a young man sits at a piano. <laughs> young man? <laughs> young woman. Well, it could be any. Yeah, sure, that's sure. the kind of narration it is. Yeah. Interesting. And it paints pictures. Yeah. It's very brief because it has to fit in between dialogue and the movie. It's a kind tear of an art, goes down it? his face. Say again? A tear goes down his face. <laughs> what advice would you have, Rachel, for other people that are having a film made about them? Maybe they feel like, okay, this is just daily life for me, even though the rest of the world is intrigued. But mm. what, what advice would you have? I mean, I'm sure at times it might have been uncomfortable, but other times it was probably very exciting. Yeah. And um, flattering, and then also maybe a little scary, because you're like, mm. all these people are going to know, but there's probably a fun part of that too. Mm -hmm. Any advice? Make sure of both. Mm. Be yourself, right? Yeah. Just like be like yourself personality and I guess I think most people don't think see themselves as interesting you know? sure I mean here in LA everybody thinks they're interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tour is a totally different world yeah all over the place <laughs> and you, that's one thing that's impressive that there's someone who is not motivated by that at all right I would listen to a lot of like uh, documentaries on like very famous people who would did a lot of strange things sort of not really being themselves at the end and I guess and so I was like thinking thinking of me and just like my personality and I guess I can't figure out exactly what the words but like natural learning from from those and just being natural and and also my family too, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, Rachel's grandfather and grandmother in the film who were musicians and her grandfather died in the 2014 and, yeah. that, and made the film even more uh, important, I think, to you guys. Yeah. Too, that he was in it, you know. Yeah, he was, we always had nice times together too. Like, he uh, played me a lot of stuff with grandma like uh, a lot of Western swing music when I was very little. Sometimes he would be singing stuff to me and I have these dreams where like recently I would have these dreams where like he would, he would just be singing and just really happy. <laughs> Keith Emerson? Yeah, Keith Emerson. That was Amazing. that was the toughest for me because I saw him two months ago before he died. He was very influential in uh, adapting classical music and taking that into a rock band, a keyboard-based band, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Then earlier with the Nice back in the late six. 1960s but he was also a really really cool composer and he would take sort of the structure elements of classical music and jazz and all kinds of stuff and so I'm that was very influential and I was lucky to make to have met both Keith Emerson and Greg Lake they were both very nice people and I stayed in touch with Greg after Keith died and wrote to him and we just had a nice time you know and then and then he he's gone and so I was lucky to know both Keith and Greg um, they helped me a lot in finding your own path like keep exploring things um, And then you finally figure out what it is that you enjoy the most and keep keep doing it kind of a thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. so. Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer, they don't make music like that as much anymore. It's, no. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's, yeah. I didn't know much about I mean, you know, um, most of those fans are, you know, older guys. And, sure. And uh, kind of bypassed me. But And YouTube, my YouTube videos, a lot of my YouTube fans will know me as the, the girl who... I guess brought Keith Emerson music back 
too, I guess. You know, because... She's the queen of Prague. Yeah, I was looking at some of the comments and people were saying, yeah. I tried in 1975 to play this and I couldn't, I can't believe how effortless it looks. So. I'm always studying the lot, a whole bunch of renditions, the live versions, the studio versions, the different takes or the different, yeah. So it's pretty cool with technology now. I could listen to it, listen to one part of the song, listen to it. How did he play that live? Okay, he probably changed this up a little bit here, and he did this there. And <laughs> it's a scientist over here, really. You know, music is. Uh, this guy's doing his trash thing. <laughs> music is a science. Here, it's a language. You know, yeah. and, and she has a master's degree in that. Self-taught. <laughs> I mean, she went to school, right? Yeah, I went to the conservatory, in, in, in you know, from the age of what? Four, and that was pretty good for. Um, studying classical music a lot of times the 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 stuff that i enjoyed doing was just i just liked listening to the classical music and then going to computer class and learning on music technology and but um later on i started to once i started teaching myself how to go online in high school and how to go on the internet and look up stuff and I started exploring lots of cool stuff. It's like and then having some friends too. Um, so it's a mixture of my family and then my friends and then just a lot of stuff. It's like, yeah. Eighteen hours a day, you know. <laughs> I've seen her fall asleep playing a chord and wake up playing the same chord. Oh yeah. It's weird. <laughs> She's very weird, <laughs> in a natural way. That's a, I mean, that's someone who's living it, you know. Sure. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too when you said earlier, Lorenzo, about how being in LA and everybody thinks their their story is special, and that's true. That's partly why everybody comes to mm -hmm. Los Angeles, mm -hmm. in some sense. But but you know, I'm sure from doing interviews and documentaries, you've probably had to ask people to tone back. You know, when the camera turns on and they get into actor mode. And I felt that very refreshing about the film, too, that it was very natural. And mm -hmm. I didn't feel that, you know, and I'm sure you've seen that in other... I've not encountered that. I mean, I guess it's the choice of the... You know, I didn't really think about the thematics, you know, why you make a film or write a story or something. I mean, in my case, I, I guess it's something to do with discovering the undiscovered, you know, people that could easily be in this frenzy of stardom. Mm -hmm. and, fame-seeking. Uh, the people who get ahead are usually the people who try the hardest, you know, to, you know, whether it's a reality TV, you know, I'm special, or a sex change operation, whatever it takes, you know. Sure. People will do anything you know, <laughs> to, to lift themselves out of uh, anonymity. And then the people that are famous want anonymity back, and they can't get it. It's this push-pull thing. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, none of the subjects I've done, whether it be Tal Farlow or this group Losaferos from Cuba, they were none of them were showboaters. In performance, they were, but in life, they weren't. And uh, so it, Rachel's in that family of people who are extremely <laughs> talented, who they know it, but they're not selling themselves. I'm the best player in the world. <laughs> but other people can say that if they want to, but yeah. when you start saying it. But I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm like, yeah, I could do that stuff, but I'm also, you know. Well, you listen to a lot of other people too, right? Yeah. yeah. And copy. Study. <laughs> yeah, study. It's, it's a scholarship, really. Yeah. Kurt Cobain, I think, was quoted as saying, or I remember I heard an interview from the 90s where he said uh -huh. he wishes that he could just be in a band for two years until it blows up and then jump mm. out and do something else because he loved the process of building uh -huh. it up. But the fame part, like the you're right, part. he wanted some yeah. of the, the pureness back. So I yeah. think that's interesting. Yeah. I was reading about that too. That's so what I was just, I'm getting into a phase right now and exploring all these different styles and some of his music here and there. Yeah. There's so a lot of Amy Winehouse songs and right. amazing yeah. stuff. If you see here, you should go to her SoundCloud channel. It's like a unbelievable diversity. Covers of collection, some Frank Zappa, some Prince, King Crimson, Beatles, mm -hmm. like all kinds of stuff. 
Cream. Cream. Yeah. Clapton. Deep Purple. All these mm. great George bands. Harris, George Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. I wish the music still played on the radio as much as it. 999. <laughs> K Tide. <laughs> I get that occasionally. If the if the sun is right, it will come in all mm -hmm. the way in L.A. But yeah. it, it's in and out. So yeah. I get that station at home. So <laughs> very nice. I love that station. I like Rachel it. has a device called a Victor Reader, which is holds uh, SD cards, and she keeps a lot of different cards for different. You want to tell categorize me? the genres. So like one card, I put all my. I guess like classic rock collection from the stuff in the 1970s and all that. And then I put another, I would, I put all this, I do a copy and paste of stuff from the computer. So like if I have like all the alternative collection of like all those different bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, that's another one. Yeah, Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, beautiful voice. Yeah, oh yeah. Beautiful spirit. Yeah. Huge range too. Vocal range. Yeah. Yeah. And they they explored a lot of time signatures too. So not just four four, but they would go into like like five and I guess like seven and it's like wow, this is cool. <laughs> well, not yeah. your standard rock band no. stuff, yeah. But you would often associate it with like progressive rock and not, and time signatures, but they incorporated that into it's, it's so cool. So so I like to think of those elements and my main favorite in composition would be jazz and classical, but I like incorporating the structure of classical music, but also with jazz harmonies and improvisation. The closest would be like the stuff by Pat Metheny, Lyle Mays, and then uh, Taylor Ixty, who is in the film, he's one of my influence, influences too, current pianist. And, um, so I'm always categorizing things. So, so like one is, so like my contemporary collection, and then I got one that's just my jazz instrumental stuff. And this card is more of the vocal side of the jazz vocalists. And then this one is gonna be like gospel collection and then this is sort of like my classical collection so and then I'm always putting it in a specific spot so that way I know exactly where 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 it is so it's it's a lot of fun having having this uh, technology to explore these things and listen to them and share it with them too so you want to make Rachel, Rachel crazy hide her Victor reader <laughs> she'll be all depressed until she gets it back. Where's my machine? <laughs> Where's my machine? <laughs> was there one moment in the film that was that was difficult? Whether it was just the location or or hmm. whatever it was that was maybe the most trying, but then it turned out to be actually one of the better moments. Uh, I don't remember now. There was a whole bunch of stuff that we did. Difficult, no, not technically difficult. I think some of the interviews I learned a lot early on asking, I mean, you know, in your role as They're an tricky. interviewer. Because Rachel's <laughs> not, she's a realist, you know. If, if, her, she's, yeah. if her music is coming from, as she says, a sense of place, a, a feeling, a sound, a smell, who she's with, you know, like compositions like At the Beach, Ordinary Day, the Shore titles, line. Shoreline, the titles indicate the genesis of this piece is from an actual experience, not some intellectual thing. So the early interviews were, she'd just stare at me like, what are you asking me this for? You know, like, where does the music come from? This is, some people can answer that, but it's kind of an odd question, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I got better at it, you know, <laughs> by trying to just steer it towards it more. So I wouldn't say that was more difficult, because Rachel was never resisting anything. But I had to learn her language, you know, her process. Yeah, took a little bit. But. <laughs> Reminds me of Keith Richards, his um, Stones. Yeah, his book Life, I think it was, where he talked about uh, these people would go to these jazz clubs and they would theorize, but they had never picked up an instrument. Uh -huh. And and he it would it would make him mad, you know, because he, he maybe didn't know so much about the theory, but he he knew how to play. How to play the guitar. And yeah. All. Yeah. Well, being a failed musician myself, I think I really? came at it, yeah, dismal. 
terrible. You know? <laughs> Rachel points that out to me. <laughs> But what would you I, play? It, Sorry, what would you? Well, what I didn't play was <laughs> jazz guitar, you know, which is, of course, the hardest type to play. You it's know. tricky. But that's how I met Tal Farlow, who I later made a film about. So I kind of worked it out for myself. It steered me towards film, which was better for me, you know. It's pretty um, cool. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so so I, you know, I, music is still sort of a mystery to me uh, in a lot of ways. But I I know it enough to edit it and work with it and know what sounds right and what doesn't sound right. Um, yeah. But um, I, I, you know, leave it to people like Rachel to do it. You know, um, <laughs> but you have to have some abilities. You know, as an editor, to read this stuff because you, you give the scene to four different people and it comes out differently with each person. You know, in terms of the sensitivity to what's going on. I like the echo in here. Yeah, it's very high high ceilings. You had a Indiegogo campaign, mm -hmm. is that right? Did most of the backers um, know you or Rachel or Jeannie? Or? I don't know. Um, mostly they knew her. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and it was it was our first campaign we did in the fourteen, right. and uh, we did well with it. You know, it was just exploratory, you know, to see if anyone cared. You know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so yeah. when it's all said and done, there's almost you know 200 credits on the movie. I don't know if you saw a version with the credits, but it's like four-minute credit sequence, which is like a big movie. You know, just to thank everyone who helped out, from ten-dollar people, they all got their names on the film. And, and wow! Uh, um, so it's astonishing. Like I said, never, never before had I had that kind of pre-support <laughs> for something. And uh, it wasn't me. I mean, a few people, you know, but mostly it was. People who had been following Rachel for years said, "Oh, there's going to be a movie about her. Wow. I'll, I'll help with that." You know, yeah. and uh, so yeah, cool. it was cool. And then we did another one a few years later, mm -hmm. um, but mostly it was, um, you know, our executive producer Patty Channer and and several others who came in big, you know, to support it over over a long period of time, mm -hmm. and gave me the assurance that it'll be taken care of. You know. And I, you know, I'm a good negotiator, so I'm not spending other people's money unwisely. Sure. Uh, but it was a pleasure, you know, to know that, you know, we're actually going to release this now. That's where the, yeah. the film was not that expensive, uh, considering uh, what other feature documentaries cost. <laughs> but the marketing, you know, when you go to the theaters and, and all this, uh, it does cost you music rights and things music like that. Rights, sure. Yeah. There's a lot of music in the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How is that to, to secure those rights? Um. Well, it's expensive, you know. I mean, uh, they don't care if it's a small film. They don't care if it's Rachel Flowers. It's just, you know. But we have uh, clearance people in San Francisco who I worked with before. And they're very good, you know, the rights workshop. And they That's go cool. after it, you know. And they deal with these publishers all the time. So they say, hey, give these guys a break, or, you know. But you do have to pay, and you have to be diligent about that. Um, I've never had any bad experiences, you know, uh, s slid by on a few titles. I won't mention the names. Yeah, don't, let's not. But this was fully cleared, <laughs> you know, and a lot of work, you know, for, yeah. for many months. <laughs> but we are in a good place now, so. Well, Lorenzo, I know you used to live in Los Angeles and be in the film industry here, and then I guess you would drive up to Ventura on the weekends? For a while, yeah, quite a bit, yeah. So, do you miss Los Angeles? Do you miss the film industry, or do you do you feel that there's a home that embraces you in Ventura? It seems like they're quite yeah. supportive of you. Well, you know, this careers change, times change. You know, um, I did my time in that sense. You know, and I did okay. I did well. You know, coming from Hawaii with no connections, no experience, I wanted to be a film editor. I just I saw Cabaret fourteen times and. It was really the first movie uh, that was conscious of the craft of editing as a storytelling tool, you know. And uh, later got to meet, you know, David Bretherton, who won an Oscar for that film as an editor, and ended up working with a couple of Oscar-winning editors, you know. Wow. In those days, I was an apprentice and then a second assistant, an assistant, you know, the older, hierarchical 
days, you know, then you became an editor, you know. <laughs> Paid your dues. Yeah. yeah, my first film was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You know? Oh, great, yeah, okay. The feature, you know. um, but, I had uh, fingerless gloves. Yeah. Remember, yeah, but it was, you know, and then, then, you know, I got fed up with L.A. and I moved to Canada and lived on an island with my dog. And, oh, wow. And then That's I was nice. involved in, with John Hurt, the late, lovely John Hurt, uh, in a feature called Hypergraphia that I had wrote. And, and uh, he was wow. going to star in, and, and uh, we spent six years collaborating on that. So that brought me back down here because I needed to be a little closer to the, the business. But you know, LA will either you know, like New York, you know, embrace you or ignore you. You know, and you still have to be yourself. And uh, so, yeah, we've come down a lot. It's nice to be only an hour away, but I don't want to kind of leave it to others to be here every day. You know. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, we have a lot of um, new filmmakers that watch our channel, and they wow. want to make a living as a filmmaker. So, you know, you've been in this business for a few years. Um, mm -hmm. What advice could you share to them about making a living as a filmmaker? Is it is it in the editing? Is it in post production, or maybe production? But in terms of of actually trying to make a movie just to make money and make a living, mm -hmm. it's more about the idea behind it and how passionate you are. Maybe not. Yeah, well, I never did any films myself th for that reason, you know, uh, to make a hit or, you know, or f supply a genre piece, you know, a horror movie or something. People do that, you know, um, and they, some succeed with that. I found that seldom do they be able to escape, though, the, the thing that they started, in other words, to become a genre filmmaker. Um, there's so many filmmakers now, it's just it's, it's amazing, you know, every year there's people getting graduating from film school and uh, I think it's harder in a way now to distinguish yourself even though there's digital technology and um, at the film society in Ventura we used to bring in film students from Brooks Institute which is no longer there but uh, they were shocked to, to show their shorts and stuff in front of an audience because they usually mm -hmm. just put it on YouTube and they go by the comments which is sort of separate from, and then but to sit in the room in the dark with people, they were very moved by that, and they had no, no experience. There was, you know, a degree of separation sure. from the audience. Hmm. So I don't know. In terms of making a living, that's a mystery. You know, um, I had a craft that I could sell and get paid for to do the editing, and, and I got on a TV series at Warner Brothers called Life Goes On. Uh, in the late 80s and uh, transitioned me from an editor to a producer and I directed for them too, got in the Directors Guild. And so that was my path, you know. Um, but a craft is a good thing, you know, whether it's camera or, or, or editing. And then I just always would work on the side writing and so on, you know. I was trying to kind of ask at least as much of myself as my employers asked of me which means a long day, you know. You come home from a 12-hour day and you rest and you do your own thing, whether it's writing or editing or whatever. You have to be pretty resilient, you know, and diligent about it. And not be like somebody else. It's fine, you know, who you are. Find out who you are, and then that hopefully translates into something others will find interesting too, you know. You started the Ventura Film Society. I know you said they've taken a hiatus or yeah. it's, it's, it's closed down for a little bit. But mm -hmm. when you did start it, what were some of the issues that other filmmakers would um, throw out? Or not, maybe not issues, but just concerns or things they were working through? People that we had up there yeah. as guests. Yeah, well, they pretty much enjoyed, you know, the process. We had Paul Mazursky up, who's an old friend of mine, and, and Bob Young, and Andy Timoner, and they oh, all nice. came up to do things with us. Mm -hmm. um, they were working on their own projects. They, we did, sometimes got into that talking with them. But, uh, you know, as Paul Mazursky, the late Paul Mazursky, says, uh, he says, I know I'm close to dying because I'm getting all these tributes now, you know. <laughs> it must be getting close, you know. Oh, gosh. Uh, he was a great guy. And uh, so that was just a, you know, having been in a lot of festivals, good, bad, and indifferent, you know, festivals, we wanted to honor the process and bring to a small town, uh, was our slogan, uh, bringing people together in the dark. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. That's really what <laughs> cinema is about, you know, yeah. the theater experience. And uh, that was, and, or discover the world around you. These were the kind of things we 
came up with, and, and the, the programming followed those leads, you know, odd things, you know. Some went over better than others, you know. So Lorenzo, from your um, successful Indiegogo campaign in 2014, um, you said something that was great. It was making a film about someone's life, even for a short period of time, of, uh, is not something to enter into lightly for the filmmaker or the subject. It's a bond that holds uh, people for a very long time before fruition and a lifetime afterwards. So, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, that's beautifully written. Kind of true, you know, don't you think, Rach? In terms of the, the relationship between the filmmaker and the subject, you know, mm -hmm. it's you don't quite know where it's going to go or if it's going to work. And yeah, I lost concentration there. So. That's okay. Okay. But um, yeah, it's true. I mean, if you care about people, and you know, again, this this idea of reaching into the shadows and and, and illuminating stories for people. You didn't invent the story; the story was there already. Um, but you're, you're kind of the guide, you know. And in this case, the piece is hopefully going to resonate with people. Judging by the festival response, it, it will. You know, everything's guaranteed, but when they have to buy a ticket, like they did at the festivals, and, yeah. and like they will now coming up, um, you kind of get a sense that it's working, you know. Uh, the film has a, is something separate from us now. It's a separate entity, you know, and uh, it goes out and does its thing, and uh, it doesn't bore people. It, it's you know, it's been pretty universally liked, and that's a good thing, I think. Was done something right, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, and bringing people together in the dark. Would you rather them yeah. see it in a theater versus Always, at home? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know, whatever. I mean, Gravitas Ventures is the distributor, is a digital. Distributor, they do theatricals. They did, we kept the theatrical for ourselves on this one. We formed a company called Foresight Releasing, which is doing the theatrical uh, release. And uh, yeah, whatever you know. I mean, the people visual quality is different. You know, I think if people are watching it on the bus on their phone, okay, that's cool. Whatever, I'm not going to take it away from them. It's whatever fits, and that's what's great about this platforms that exist now. Yeah. It's digital delivery. And the more people, like I think Rachel is motivated uh, mm -hmm. by sharing yeah. what she does. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the thrill of, yeah. of having them appreciate it. You know? mm -hmm. I love the moment where um, you were, I think, outside the Braille Institute and uh -huh. you were singing a Pharrell song. Yeah, with my, with my friend Eric. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. That was fun. I like that. That song cost us, believe me. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> that's, that's the filmmaker so talking there. 30 that's seconds yeah. cost how much? That's great. But it had to be in. Yeah, it, was it, it was excellent. That's yeah. one of my favorite songs, too. So. And, and then we cut away to Rachel being happy, just like what the song says. Yeah. It was perfect. You know? That was fine. That's interesting. So you, you it, from, from a filmmaking sort of money perspective, the, you realized that that was a scene that needed to be there. and, and Yeah, it got cut at one time because oh. we had, right before that was uh, Superwoman. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Oh. And, you know, you don't think about, you know, a feature film where you're doing a dance number, like La La Land or something, you've got to own that music from early on because you're going to shoot to it. And if you didn't clear it, you, you have to reshoot or fake it or something. Yeah. The documentary is a little less stringent, but it comes to haunt you at some point, you know. That's the mm -hmm. cut. And oh my God, you know, we have to clear 19 songs, you know. Yeah. I still remember the first time I heard that song. I was actually, a, I was asleep and I had some weird dream. And um, I turned on the radio and I was looking for a good station. And uh, that song came, I was like, wow, I like this. This is cool. You're talking about happy? Yeah. 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 Was it K-Tide or no? No, no, no. K-Tide's no. that, that's, that's, that's classic. That's oh. like rock. But I was probably either Live 105.5 or B95.1 or somewhere in those, the, the, the day's hits station, mm -hmm. you know. Okay, right. Yeah. But it's, you know, they, Eric cool. is, is a guy at the Braille Institute. He's vision impaired. I don't know where he is now, but... He lives in Santa Barbara with his brother, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, very he talented. You saw him uh, with his... That's something, that's something his Rachel fingers. can't do. I can't snap my fingers. That, thank God there's one thing. 
<laughs> She's hopeless at that. Well, yeah, that's one thing you can do. But he's got a great time and a nice yeah, voice yeah. too. And he's yeah. he, he really cares for Rachel. So they had, yeah. that was just, you know, you don't plan these things like, oh, and then you turn the camera over there. Something's happening over there. Right. It's, it just comes at yeah. you, you know, and you better be. That's the directing job to get back to that is just don't Being at the moment. It. Yeah. Don't it, blow it. No. Multiple cameras. Yeah, things happen blow. right at the moment spontaneously. Yeah, and if you say do it again, it's never the same. Yeah, it's like, okay. Uh, you blew it. If you lost, it's your fault. The energy. And that. I think of, as, having been a photographer, a story about Ansel <laughs> Adams, you know, the great landscape photographer, would travel to Yosemite Half Dome. You know, he took some great pictures out there. And he shot you with a giant view camera, maybe an 11 by 14 negative, mm -hmm. so crisp, beautiful. And he'd take one sheet of film, just one, and drive for days. And he, he, <laughs> had, a, he had a processing in his trunk, and, <laughs> and he would take one piece of film, and it was a discipline, this is a, amazing. And he'd then drive all the way back, print it, and it didn't work or whatever. He, he just take one more sheet back. He didn't. It wasn't like digital where you're just firing off. Yeah. Thought that was an amazing story of a disciplined eye. You know. Yeah. I always try to use that as an inspiration for the moment. If you blow it, it's your fault. You know. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it seems like because of digital cameras, it's just just keep clicking, just keep going. Yeah. Until you, until well, you find the one. The world works. is different too. The half dome's not going anywhere. It's there, that big rock, you know? <laughs> and the light changes, the colors change. Now, life is fast moving, and uh, mm -hmm. Ansel Adams would be uh, left in the dust, you know, if you had the cover. But that's not the kind of guy he was. You know? So it's all, it's all good. Whatever images uh, that you capture are, are worthy. I'll express. But there's that sort of old world discipline of uh, watching, waiting, you know. Yeah, it's interesting to think if. if any of the filmmakers or musicians from yesteryear would have made it in today. And I know there's the, um, you know, you talked about home editing system and then there's like this glut of, of movies out here. And the same with music as well. I think there's yeah. Press, Pause, Play, or probably saying the name of the documentary wrong. But it's about home uh, music editing uh, mm -hmm. system and how now there's just so much music out there. And how yeah. do you decipher good from bad anymore? And does it get watered down as a result? So yeah, there's that question with, with filmmaking as well. It's great though, because it is empowering. You know, yeah. the old days that power was in very few hands. You had to ask them permission to the studios or whatever. Uh, the costs have gone way down, you know, until you clear the music that is, you know. <laughs> but you can achieve these things, and that's democratizing the process, which I'm totally in favor of. And I think the good, the great, the good, they find their own way up to the surface. You know, things that are mediocre, uh, you don't have to do anything. They'll just stay there, you know. It's cool having friends to introduce me to a lot of fun stuff. You have to share what we enjoy. And if I don't like it, that's, I'm like, nah, not really. <laughs> she lets them down easy. Uh -huh. <laughs> or other times I'd be like, this is interesting, okay, maybe lyrics, maybe not so much, but musically, what is it about the music that I, that's cool about it? Okay, it's got, okay, so it's got this, it's got, hmm. Yeah, it's a big river, really, you know, it's all just keeps flowing. Going past the, you know, first part and trying to think of the, the part that makes it exciting or... Mm -hmm. And I, I like having my studio in my bedroom, my music studio in my bedroom. I told her once that recently, I said, you know, someday you're going to have a big studio and your bedroom be separate. She goes, but then how will I, if I have a dream, what will I do when I wake up? Right. You Sit know? down at the keyboard and play the fragment <laughs> I heard in the dream. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's maybe, unless you have a portable little keyboard in your room, but yeah. this way she goes, right. Her Straight to it, the yeah. Yamaha keyboard or whatever keyboard it is, and and you record it into your iPhone too. Sometimes, yeah, right? iPhone or Victor Reader. The melody, whatever. Yeah, or the chords. I know a whole lot of the the chords and the harmonies and the instrumentation. 
the yeah. production. Like on the, in the dream, it's like it sounds like it came out of the album. Oh. Complete, you mean? Yeah, yeah. complete. Yeah, and you know that transition between dreams and waking up. People go, I had a great dream last night. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> you know, you're trying to capture those yeah. things before they fade. Because mm -hmm. it's not this world, it's from another world. Yeah. yeah. Very true. And I remember a whole bunch of my dreams. I would make a lot of notes straight when I wake up from that dream, and I'd make a voice note of what it was like, the, the dialogue. I remember a whole bunch of dialogue from dreams. And I even talk different in dreams, too. Like, oh, hey, Grandpa, my voice sounds like this because I'm dreaming. <laughs> you are weird. Yeah. <laughs> or I would have these dreams that I would be singing and my voice would be really, really powerful. It would be totally different from my soft singing voice. Like in the dream, I would sing in this unusual sound. Like, how did I get that sound in these dreams? <laughs> Lorenzo, when someone meet someone as you did with Rachel at, um, I want to say sour grapes, sorry, it's squash Ooh, grapes. <laughs> sorry. sorry, it's squash One grapes. One of my teachers at Braille say smashing grapes. <laughs> it's a really cool name. I remember when yeah. you showed the picture, and I thought yeah. that's a well, really clever ever name. Up there, they, squash it's a, grapes, it's the smashing little club grapes, sour It looked cool. Yeah, a lot of people from <laughs> so forgive me to the club Something owner. Something They're watching. Yes, <laughs> so squash grapes. Um, uh, it, let's suppose they have a moment that where where they see they meet someone incredible and they say, you know what, I want to be part of that life story. I want to show the world this life story. Uh, what are like maybe five questions that that filmmaker should ask themselves before they embark mm -hmm. on something? Because it is a big commitment and you are mm -hmm. getting involved in someone's life. You know, you're, you're mm -hmm. showing them mm -hmm. to the world and that's a big commitment. And, um, you know, you've done so beautifully. So what, what are some questions a filmmaker should ask? Well, it's a good one. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Feel like Rachel not trying to interpret these. <laughs> well, I mean, it's time, you know, yeah. what you're doing, what's most important for the moment, and you know you're in for a long experience if you've done this before, or you enter it completely naive and you learn. You know, it's not a weekend shoot, you know. Um, it could have been done, but it wouldn't have the depth, you know. What, what the thing we that I always liked about this experience, it was about a little use the word girl, the little person in a, in a little <laughs> house, in a little town, and then she's heard me say this before, but there's a big story there, yeah. you know, it was looking for the great that exists small. in the small. With Hollywood always taking the small and trying to make it big, this is the inversion of that, you know. So I don't know, I mean, the question one would ask is, is time, how am I going to fund this, who's going to help me? Uh, is this just a momentary fascination? Um, I call it the. I did a lecture for film students up at Brooks, and, and uh, I didn't. I couldn't tell them anything they didn't know about cameras and lenses and stuff <laughs> like that. So I wrote this thing called Ten Phases of Addiction." Oh, interesting. It was almost like a Narcanon lecture, you know. Sure. But in, for journal, video journalists and wow. stuff, like. You know, there's 30 people in the room. How many people are going to be here in five years mm, doing wow. this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it won't be 30, I can guarantee you. You know, mm -hmm. life will intrude, things will happen. Yeah. You weren't really meant for that, or whatever. You know, it's hard though. It's hard to give up and go somewhere else. Um, but that went over well because, and it was how it's almost like a junkie in a sense. You know, the, the story is the drug, you know. And if you have it in you to, to go all the way for a story that you really believe in, uh, that's essential, you know, to have that clinical connection, a cellular connection with the story. And that should guide you through all kinds of uh, ups and downs, you know. If you have that, you have something to go with. So that would be, you know, something I would ask myself and that others would be wise to ask themselves too. Oh, that's excellent. Do you have that online anywhere? Maybe we could link to it. No, really, I don't okay. think so, yeah. A lot of people focus on the dark side. I do, too, in, in film. This is the lightest, I think, most uh, yeah. uh, feel-good, for want of a better word, project I've ever done, you know? Because it was a good time in my life, you know? I was mature enough, I think, to sense the, the goodness mm -hmm. that was going on here. Yeah. And that in times that are confusing, which is all the time, but now especially, yeah. You know, yeah. 
uh, you need to have an antidote to that. <laughs> yeah. I don't put too much responsibility of, on Rachel to change the world, yeah. but it's refreshing <laughs> to see a family persevering through adversity with the soundtrack going on in the house, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think people can get a lot just I'm, out of that experience. Yeah. I'm happy to have my family too, so. That's nice. Yeah. And my brother and uh, our kitten Zero. Oh. <laughs> you know, Vaughn didn't want to be in the movie at mm. all. I'm glad he was. Yeah, yeah. it took a long time. Me too. Like, Tell him. Rachel, 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 Rachel. Rachel this, Rachel that. You know, he was fed up. Yeah. And, uh, and Jeannie <laughs> knew that I want, he's, he's, he said, Vaughn, you know, they're almost done. You know, Lorenzo always told us he wants you in it. He said, no. Something happened. She called me one day. Said Vaughn wants to be in it. He oh, great. I said, "Is this April first or something?" <laughs> I don't believe it. Did something changed. He, he, he woke up. He grew up. Yeah. And that interview, which you liked, was, we, we like it a lot too. Yeah. The bonus features we gave him a little bit, little five-minute sequence. Oh, okay. So you haven't seen that. I'm keeping that as a surprise. He talks dirt about you guys. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> no but he's, You've heard it here first. He reiterates <laughs> what, you know, he had to go his own way, and people say, yeah. well, you're Rachel's brother. What instrument do you play? Oh, yeah. Yeah, goes, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, play yeah, any yeah. instrument, although yeah. he does. He has musical abilities. But a little key, key, guitar. Yeah, he has a little Got that for guitar. a Christmas present. Yeah, but he's a terrific artist. Yeah, he, he loves saw to it. draw. He's out of the fantasy realm. Mm -hmm. and the, I think Excellent. he can have himself a career in, in gaming and all kinds of things. You know, yeah. bright graphic novels and stuff. But uh, when the time came to film that sequence, he was he got a haircut. And <laughs> he was ready. His room, he had that skeleton in there. With a I noticed. A yeah. shirt on. It's like Beetlejuice or something. And before I could ask him any of the questions, you know, I had my sheet like he, he answered everything yeah. without me asking. I mean, he, I asked one question. He says, if anybody tried to bother Rachel, what would you do? He says, I'll beat him up. <laughs> it's, just, it's my job to bother her, no one else. <laughs> so, but he was great, and, and then yeah. we just cut it together, and uh, it was honest. Yeah. And, and I think the film would be less without him. Yeah. And then when you see him at the end, you know, that little scene where they hug each other at the very mm. end. Yeah. It's, it's, he's not in it much. He's in the supermarket shots where they're shopping. He talks about his mom. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, I'd like there to be more, but it's at least that's there. Because he's yeah. reserved and he doesn't really want to be part of anybody else's scene. Yeah. But he loves Rachel, he loves his mom, and, and yeah. uh, it's a great family. Me too. That's why I like the scene. I, that's it. It was honest. Yeah. You know, what, whatever, whatever the feelings are around it, it was honest. And I thought his that thing? really. Yeah, I thought yeah. it really lent to the film. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it, it, that's what you try for, you know, is, is not getting in your own way. You know, this is, you know, Michael Moore does his thing, you know, he's very much the presence in it, and that works great for him. And uh, others are more reserved and non-present, you know, what we would call direct cinema, you know, <laughs> where you're, you're not getting in any way between the audience and the subject by putting yourself in, you know. Um, that would be the school that I would be part of, you know, I think, because um, it would be weird, you know, it'd be like a narrator, which I, I've never made a film with, mm -hmm. a, I've edited films with narrators, I worked for National Geographic, which is very narrator heavy, yeah. Ken Burns kind of films, they're very clear, but they're not very interesting cinematically. They, they do the job well, right? Yeah. But they lead you along, they tell you what you want They tell know. you what they're going to, yeah. It's much harder to edit a film that doesn't have that uh, element, because it has to be self-revealing based on what what they're saying yeah so the subjects become the self-narrators but yeah we tried not to do too many sit-down interviews though there were a few we did but we use most of it as voiceover yeah, yeah. and we go to the picture just in between for quick reference you know? yeah so they are telling their own story you know yeah pretty cool yeah, the grocery store and then the bus ride. Costco. <coughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, scenes, the Costco you know, like Yeah. yeah. Her and Weasel talking at, at the NAM at show. The show mm -hmm. yeah. Arturo Sandoval. That was fun. He, he came up with some stuff. It was, what is, music is the bomb for the soul. Bond for you know, the soul. If you have music, uh, it keeps your spirit, spirit alive. alive. I mean, yeah. you can't write that stuff. Right. You know? And he's, I said, what are you going to talk about? He goes, I've got it covered. <laughs> 
that was fun. Trusting it. Yeah. Playing with him is so much fun too. So. Yeah, scene. and she had met him a few years before, and I had yeah. met him some years before, and we called him and said, can <laughs> we do a reunion scene of you and Rachel? That and, was nice. Uh, he said, you have one hour. And it's one hour. <laughs> we did so much in an hour. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack album will be coming out soon, and on there is Body and Soul that they did together. That oh, was wow. fun. Yeah, which is, which Great I'd forgotten album. about until we picked that up. Yeah, played on the Bosendorfer piano, which was originally uh, Oscar Peterson's piano, I guess. Yeah, he owns Oscar Peterson's nine-foot Bosendorfer Imperial. Huge. Rachel looked like a tiny person. <laughs> I love the sound of huge pianos. <laughs> and then the scene of you and your mom walking through downtown LA, I think it was, that was yeah. really interesting Yeah. because it was so different from Ventura with the beach, yeah. just maybe a safer feel, more inclusive, mm -hmm. and then just walking down the street, and I, I enjoyed that contrast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the day we filmed at, at the Blue Whale, which right. is the club downtown, with, where she played Taylor. with Taylor's t trio. His band, Taylor yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of memories there. In 53 days, you know, and we didn't use everything we shot. You know, some things didn't measure up visually for me. You know, the location sucked or something like that. It wasn't quite worthy, you know. This is for real. This ain't posed. <laughs> Sometimes Rachel needs a hug and she gets it. Mm-hmm. I like hugs. Yeah. So you happy with the interview? Mm-hmm. They did a pretty good job, didn't they? Yeah, it's fun. Didn't ask dumb questions like I did <laughs> when we started. You know, there's a bunch of videos coming out uh, over the next few weeks that we decided <laughs> to release little pieces like Rachel playing the national anthem. Uh, you can yeah. see that on our Facebook page. And okay. she just We just released one uh, on a pipe organ. Pictures in an exhibition. Uh, a classical piece. Oh, that's beautiful. And there's a few more coming. So we're just kind of showing people little pieces, you know. We're going to release the mm -hmm. Night in Tunisia piece That'll with you fun. and Arturo, yeah. Yeah.